For scripture reading, let's turn to Isaiah 40 this morning, page 712 in your pew Bibles, Isaiah 40. We'll read 9, verses 9 through 31. There in prophecy, Israel has been taken captive. They're prisoners of war in Babylon. They're struggling. Their hope is fading. They're wondering whether God is powerful enough to help them and loving enough to help them. And so there are all these questions in this passage from God to his people. Questioning really their, their doubts. Go up to a high mountain, verse 9, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol. A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. 
Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Looking especially at verse 31, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Isaiah 40, verse 31. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus, I don't know if you heard the latest, the latest, I think it's the latest in the news, is that Mark Zuckerberg founder of Facebook, is building a 57,000-square-foot underground bunker in Hawaii's Kauai Island. Includes 30 bedrooms and 30 bathrooms. The space will have its own energy and food supplies and a blast-resistant door. Now, just when I thought Zuckerberg had it all and had nothing to be afraid of, He's building a bunker because he's scared. And many billionaires are doing the same. They're scared. Huh. Scared? Why? Because as people were fundamentally weak, profoundly weak, even when we think we're strong. The question for 2024 is not whether we're weak or strong, but where the weak will find his strength and find his security. In a bunker? Is that going to keep diseases away? Is that going to keep hell off your back? Is that going to atone for your sin? Is that going to fix all your relationships? Is that going to give you happiness? Is that going to change the world? Of course not. It's folly. That's the temptation of mankind to find security and strength in the wrong place. Jeremiah says in 9 verse 23, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. The beginning of the year, it's so important that we rest in the only real power that can make us secure for whatever the year holds, for whatever we face now or will face along the way. And that's to rest in the promises of God. That's the bunker. That's impregnable, cannot be broken, and will keep you safe. No matter what you're in, what you face, and what comes against you, The promises of God and the special promise we want to focus on, this promise for the new year, is the Lord will renew your strength. The promise of strength. All kinds of promises we could meditate on, glorious promises. 
this is the one that we want to focus on. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Those who run to the Lord as their bunker shall renew their strength. First of all, we see in this passage that God hears the questions of his people. And secondly, that he shares his power with his people who call on him. And thirdly, he blesses our faith. When we wait upon the Lord, he blesses our faith. He hears your questions. Now Isaiah 40 is filled with questions for a depressed and doubting people. Again, in prophecy, Nebuchadnezzar has vandalized the promised land, wrecked its cities, its farms, its vineyards, come into the holy city, tore down its walls, ruined, burned the temple, then taken the people as prisoners of war, and there they are in a pagan land with pagan culture, pagan gods, pagan temples. And in the beginning of Isaiah 40, there's a message of comfort, comfort. I'm going to bring you all back. I'm going to bring you to peace. Life is going to be good again. But the people are saying, I don't see it. Nice, nice hope, Lord. I don't see it. And then God begins to ask questions. Do you doubt my power? Huh? Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who made the Lord understand, verse 14? Who taught him the path of justice? To whom will you compare God? 21, do you know? Do you not hear? Has it not told you from the beginning? To whom will you be compare me? And all these questions about God. Do you not know who he is? He's saying to them, behold your God. You're looking too much at your circumstances and your problems and your pain and your suffering and the corruption of this culture and you're saying, there's no way the church can survive. There's no way that I can endure. But if you would look up, lift up your eyes, he says, See who made the stars, who controls the nations. Princes are just dust to him. He blows and they fall over. Though they think they're the mightiest men of the earth. Who did all this? Who holds the world? Who brought the stars into existence. How many stars are there? I have it written down here. I don't know how accurate this is. There are 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. 400 billion. There are 125 billion galaxies in the universe. And the total number of stars is about 10 billion trillions. And he says in the chapter, I call them all by name. And by my might, not one of them is missing. He's got a name for every one of them. Which means he's in charge of them. So if I have every star in my eye and a name for them, 
What about for you, my people who are named after me? So he asks them questions about him. Then in verse 27, he turns it around to ask them the questions they're asking. Why do you say, O Jacob? Why do you speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Now I want to deal with your questions about me. Were you eavesdropping, God? When did you hear me say, I've been listening to your conversations? So he he knows our questions. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? I've been paying close attention to your muttering. I've been tuning in to your unspoken words and feelings. Like, remember Abraham and Sarah who said in their hearts, God can't do this thing. So I've been eavesdropping on you, and I hear you saying this, my way is hidden from the Lord, that God doesn't see our predicament. He's not in tune with my problems. His face is turned away from me. And my right is disregarded by my God. He doesn't care. He's abandoned me. He's given up on me. He's grown sick and tired of me because of my sin and my helplessness and all my problems. He says, I'm out of here. I hear what you're saying about me. I hear your doubts. I hear your questions. I hear your unbelief. Now, in a sense, these are words of rebuke. There are terrible accusations to bring against our God. My way is hidden from the Lord. Do, Do you really believe that about your life? And that my right is disregarded by my God? That he's... He's abandoned me? Has no regard for me? Really? So in a way, it's a rebuke. These accusations come from not beholding your God, not knowing him in the way that he is to be known. It's believing lies. But even more, they're words of grace when God takes their questions and throws them back at them. They're words of grace. He sees, he hears everything we say and feel about him. He's always tuned into your life. In every situation, nothing is hidden from the Lord. They're saying my way is hidden from the Lord. By him bringing that question back to them, he's proving to them your way is not hidden from the Lord. I hear every question you ask. There's no disregard with our God either. And he brings these questions back to Israel, not to hit them with a sledgehammer, but to answer them and to comfort them and to give them hope and call them to faith. So let's remember that at the beginning of the new year. God knows what you face, how you feel, and what questions you're asking and what doubts you feel in your heart about him. He knows it all. And he's telling you, I'm tuned in to you. I want you to tune in to me and behold your God. I want you to have a clearer view of who I am so that in 2024, you can prosper. You can be strong. Behold your God.
I'm the answer to your every need. So that's the first thing. He hears their questions and brings them back to them, to us. The second, he shares his power. The next thing he says in the passage is, have you not known? Have you not heard? Look at verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Ever talk to a clueless person? Where have you been? How come you didn't know that? Well, that's what God's doing to Israel, Israel here for good reason. Haven't you known? Haven't you heard? Why are you saying my way is hidden from the Lord and my cause is disregarded by my God? Have you forgotten everything you know about me? Have you thrown away all your church history? All your Bible knowledge? All your knowledge of God's covenant of grace? How could you say things about me like that given what you know? If you lift up your eyes and look to me, your despondency would dissipate and your hope would come back. And then God begins to trot out his attributes before them so they can behold their God more clearly. Look at his five attributes here. Number one, the Lord is the everlasting God. I'm reminding you of who I am. You can see me more clearly. And your despondency and discouragement and disappointment can turn to hope and strength. And that's the first thing. The Lord is the everlasting God. He's not bound by time. He's not here today, gone tomorrow. His promises do not have an expiration date. They're as valid as God is eternal. I didn't just come on the scene, says God, and say, hey, what's going on here? Uh, hey, I didn't know that was happening. He's everlasting. Take great comfort in that. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It's all within his time zone. Second, he's the creator of the ends of the earth. That means he's sovereign. Nothing is far away from him. No one is out of reach for him. He's not lost control. Nothing's too hard for him. He's the creator, the sovereign creator over all the earth. So important for us to remember. Not only that he's eternal. It's not like my problems can outlive him. And he's sovereign. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is impossible with our God. The third attribute of God, he is tireless. He does not faint or grow weary. You see that? Are you tired? I'm not, says the Lord. Are you weary? I'm not, says the Lord. Are you worried? I'm not. My energy is boundless. My attention is absolutely focused on you without the smallest degree of distraction or diversion. It's not like I had a blank moment and I, and I lost track of your life for a minute. He does not 
faint or grow weary. The keeper of Israel, Psalm 121, doesn't slumber or sleep. And he says here, even the fittest young men get so tired, they fall down in a heap of exhaustion. There are some young men here who I don't think they could ever get tired. They could run and not grow weary. Well, it doesn't take much to fall apart. It doesn't take much to fall down and be exhausted. So even the strongest and the fittest in their world can fall flat, but our God does not grow tired or weary. Fourth attribute of God, his understanding is unsearchable. He's incomprehensible. His mind is so deep and his wisdom so infinite and we can't possibly know the length and the depth and the width and the height of God's intelligence and of his plans. It might appear that God is not doing anything. He's not paying any attention to you. He's forgotten you. But never underestimate the wisdom of God, the unsearchable wisdom and mind of God to be unleashing his power when he seems most powerless. Like Christ on the cross. He's unleashing a power that's crushing Satan, that's destroying sin, that's going to bring life, blessing, new creation. Did it look like it? The disciples, like Israel, they're sitting together in the upper room, so disappointed and discouraged and despondent. Until the Lord shows up and proves his great glory and wisdom. So it may appear that God doesn't see the depth and severity of your situation or the situation of the world. And he doesn't know how to handle it. But he sees all and he clearly understands the way to victory. His understanding is unsearchable. Behold your God. We're like the servant of Elisha at Dothan. Do you remember that story in 2 Kings 6? The king of Syria is sick and tired of Elisha knowing everything he's doing. So he sends horses and chariots and a, a large army to go to Dothan where Elisha is living to surround the town and arrest him and bring him back. So the servant of Elisha gets up in the morning, steps out the door for a breath of fresh air, and he sees all these horses and chariots in this army surrounding their little town. And he says, alas, my master, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, don't be afraid. There are more with us than there are with them. But all the servant can see is two of them, me and Elisha, and hordes of them. And then Elisha prays, O oh Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes and he saw that the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That's reality. That's not myth. That's reality. The lie is all there is is all you see around you. You're stuck. 
there's no hope. Where's God? That's the lie. Reality is behold your God who's doing great things. Just look at history. Look at his word. We need the eyes of faith to see who God is and what he has promised and what he's doing far beyond what we can see with our physical eye. And that brings us to the fifth attribute of God. Verse 29, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Not only is God powerful, almighty, but he shares his power with the weak. That's the promise that we need for today and tomorrow and each of the 365 days. Or is it a leap year? Whatever, how many, ever many days for 2024. You are weak, but you can endure every trial you face, every problem you're in, every temptation that's assaulting you, every sin that's living within you and wanting to take over. You can endure and you can conquer Because God is strong for you. God is our refuge and strength, a very present, not very absent, a very present help in trouble, Psalm 46. Whatever your situation, your fear, your worry, your sickness, your sin, your addiction, your temptation, your sorrow, your pain, your hardship, the Lord is great enough and near enough to help you and carry you through. Don't give up. Don't turn away, don't lose faith. Those who turn their backs on God always end up in ruin. Their lives do not get better, they do not get help. But those who trust in him and lean on him, they are blessed. So behold your God. And that's what we see thirdly, he blesses your faith in him. Even youths shall faint and be weary, verse 30, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And the sum of all this, wait for the Lord, and he will strengthen your heart. He will give you what you need to carry you through. Wait means expect great things from him. Number two, accept his timing for them. Accept, expect great things from him. Accept his timing for them. He's, his help will be just in time. He gives timely help, Hebrews 4. In the fullness of time, he sent his son. Though it appeared to be way too late, it was just the right time. And at just the right time, he'll return on the clouds of heaven. But lay your burdens before him. Live in the confidence that he will give you supernatural strength to do way beyond what you're naturally able to do. That's really what this means, that he shares his strength 
And those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. It's not saying that you'll be able to run the Boston Marathon tomorrow. It's saying what Paul says in Philippians 4. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can handle every trial. I can be given the faith I need, the love, the hope, the grace that I need to endure the race marked out for me without sacrificing God's word, without being unfaithful, without losing my principles of truth and faithfulness. Wait for the Lord. He'll make you strong. How do you wait for the Lord? Well, first, like Paul, you admit you're weak. You wait for the Lord by coming to him and saying, I'm weak, I can't handle this. I'm not enough for this. I simply can't do this by myself in my own strength. I am empty. And then you come to him and lean on him for his strength. You study him in his word and see his glory. You behold your God and see that strength and marvel. And you pray that strength for yourself. Give that to me. Give me yourself. This is why Jesus went to the cross. He went there in utter, absolute weakness, our weakness. Took that on himself. Our fainting, our weakness, our pain, our suffering, our death. He made that his own and rose in victory to give us strength and victory in weakness. It's all in him. Jesus accomplished that for you. Therefore, you know that he'll give that to you. God will give that to you through Jesus Christ. God says, fear not, I've redeemed you. I've called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. I want to close with the story of Annie Johnson Flint. She lived 1866 to 1932. She was twice orphaned. First, her biological parents died before she was six. She was given to a Christian couple. Then her adoptive parents died by the time she was in her late teen years. She wanted to study and become a teacher, but her body was overtaken by severe arthritis when she was in her mid-twenties. She spent the next 45 years of her life all crippled up. Pain, excruciating pain. What did she do? She spent her life writing letters, poems, and greeting cards for others, even though one wonders how she could hold a pen with her gnarled fingers. And her conviction was that God intended to glorify himself through her in her weak earthen vessel. She took much comfort in God's promise, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
And she could say with the Apostle Paul, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And she wrote this hymn. I don't even know the tune of it, but it's on the back of your bulletins. What God hath promised. What God hath promised. God has not promised skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways all our lives through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing kindness, undying love. God has not promised we shall not know toil and temptation, trouble and woe. He has not told us we shall not bear many a burden, many a care. God has not promised smooth roads and wide, swift, easy travel, needing no guide, never a mountain rocky and steep, never a river turbid and deep. But God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing kindness, undying love. So what shall the weak do? Build a bunker? Yes, as long as it's the right bunker. Find refuge in the promises of God that now he gives you strength day by day and he's leading you to victory and that victory is on the way. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and God, we praise you that your strength is sufficient for us each day this year, each moment. We are not enough, but you are. Help us to see that. Help us not to put our security and confidence in physical human strength and stuff and riches and wisdom, but to put all our confidence in the everlasting God, the glorious one, our Savior. Thank you for taking our pains and weaknesses to the cross and crushing them and coming out in victory so that we might share in that victory and that after we endure the suffering of this present time there is victory ahead so give us that faith to persevere resting in your promise that you make the weak strong in Jesus we pray amen